Hello, and welcome to the first episode of One Brain at a Time. Good morning, folks. Glad you're here. I'm Dr. K. And I'm Dr. J. (laughs) We're sisters who are on a mission of spreading the word about mental health and wellness. We had talked about doing this. Actually, you were the one who had talked about doing this for a while, and I was a little resistant, (laughs) must say. (laughs) It took me three years to get her here. (laughs) (laughs) But it finally is happening. So this is really exciting. So um, part of what we wanted to talk about this first episode is just why we're doing this, what the mission is. And we chose the name One Brain at a Time uh, because it really makes sense to the work we do in the mental health industry that everyone's individual and everyone's brain has different different needs yeah and you know when we talk about the medical format of brain health we've got to look at you know just how we're made up and we are determined by the genetics that are passed down and we just never know you know, even with siblings, what their genetic makeup is going to be. It could be 10 generations back that are playing out. So one brain at a time is looking at folks from an individual approach instead of a generalized um, approach that everybody is the same because it's just not true. And I think uh, just to get into us a little bit so that you all know who we are. Uh, I think combined, we probably have over 40 years experience, but we are siblings. And so to your point about the sibling piece, uh, we could not be more opposite and more the same uh, if we tried. So it'll be fun to explore some of that stuff in, in, the coming podcast. But uh, for my part, I am Dr. K, and my background is primarily a lot with kids, families, crisis. Uh, early on in my career, I, I worked as a um, in-home therapist, which meant that I was going into kids' homes, working with the entire system, and that included schools, doctor, anyone who who was involved in the kids' lives. And um, that was quite an experience and a lot of growing to work with over, I don't know, I'd say 500 families. Uh, So really giving perspective on how each brain operates and then within a system. But don't get me started because I could talk about that all day long. (laughs) And I'm Dr. J. I took an unconventional route uh, through education. I was planning to play Division I sports, but uh, my brain had another plan for me. And I developed panic disorder, um, and it derailed my Division I athletic career and my academic career. I ended up going back to school in my mid-30s and didn't stop for 15 years. So I come from a perspective of anxiety disorders. Um, I've worked in different areas. 
from a school counselor to um, intensive outpatient suboxone clinic, working with the military and law enforcement. And where I am today is I specialize in trauma and anxiety disorders. And so we just, you know, wanted to collaborate together to bring this framework to you folks um, to understand that depending on what you're dealing with, um, you really need to know what you're looking for in a provider. Yeah. And as we all know, the shortage of mental health support out in the community, even pre-pandemic, it was it was difficult for folks to find people. I who was just telling me recently that they were calling around and was told that it's a one year wait to get into see a therapist. And I thought, how is that even possible? Because when you're in mental health pain, you need to talk to somebody now. So that's that's some of some of the motivation too behind doing this podcast because what you and I have talked about is that there's a lot of things that we say to folks uh, to be able to empower them to understand how their mind, body, spirit, the chemistry, the things um, that cause symptoms um, to do a deeper dive in a more public way so that maybe, just maybe, the right people hear it and find comfort in the fact that, no, you're not crazy, you're not alone. This is a very common situation, and hopefully we can destigmatize mental mental illness and mental wellness. So um, before we go further, I just wanted to say that we worked very hard on coming up with a mission statement for this podcast, and I wanted to share it. So One Brain at a Time is sharing educational, professional, and personal experience to increase the understanding of holistic mental health. Dr. J, could you <laughs> define what holistic mental health is? Absolutely. So when I work with folks, um, I tell them that I work from a medical framework. So whatever the um, issue or symptomology that they're experiencing, I'm looking at it from a brain standpoint. Our brain becomes dysregulated and it depends on what part of the brain is uh, dysregulated will show what we call a diagnosis or symptomology. So when I screen people, I'm looking at their whole history. It's not just the current situation. So we've got to look at health, and that's looking at nutrition, toxins, um, any sort of um, exposure to anything that could have impact the brain substances. Um, I also look for traumatic brain injury, um, working with the military for six years, this became um, something very important to me to understand traumatic brain injuries. And what a lot of folks don't realize is that when the organ is injured, um, we culturally believe that a concussion will heal by itself. But we don't know that for a fact. 
And oftentimes people will have different thought patterns, different emotions, and they just think it's them. And we've got to bring this world into the medical model. I think that's, again, going back to why we wanted to do this podcast, that how many times have you met with a person and it is the first time that they are talking about their experience out loud and that how much have they carried for however long they've walked the earth alone in navigating what those symptoms and feelings and and when you're left to your own accord you can create narratives that just aren't true yeah for sure in the folks that i work with the brains um, that i'm working with there's a lot a lot of shame that is um, not quiet within them but it's something that folks try to wrangle and part of my passion in bringing it into brain health and medical model helps them understand that there is no intrinsic flaw within you. There's nothing that is wrong with you. We, we have to look at what has taken place to um, cause this diagnosis or patterns that are showing up and derailing you from life. And so one of the areas that I also screen for is trauma. And I can't tell you how many people that I've screened. And one of the things that I look for is in utero and birth. And um, something that continually comes up is uh, birth where the baby is struggling. So they'll go into the NICU for two or three weeks. And sometimes, you know, months at a time and, People think, oh, well, you know, they're fine. They're fine because they don't have memory of it and they have medical care. But when we look at human development, we've got to look at the basics. And trauma is encoded through our sensory system. So oftentimes I will find that it was, um, you know, having to be separated from their mom and not having that 24-7 nurturing, warm environment and it causes separation anxiety in the child as they get older. And um, they just think there's something wrong with them. And I'm like, no, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Right. And uh, to piggyback on what you were saying about in utero, I, I forget where I was reading it, but it was an article about uh, research that had been done Uh, I believe, in utero, and it was such a strong link to where mom was while carrying the child because, I mean, I think it's common sense. If you're carrying a child, uh, what kind of things are going on with you at the time might be affecting. But the other piece, too, um, that I think is really important is what we were talking about earlier when we do intakes or when we first start talking to people and how when those light bulbs start going off in connection and how, I mean, that's, that's where the magic lies with the work we do and why we continue to 
To do the work is to be able to have folks understand how their brain operates and works in a different way and build that compassion for themselves to say, okay, so you might have anxiety, but we're going to figure out how to live with it, make friends with it, and move forward. Because having anxiety, I know, I think this was something that you had taught me early on in my career about looking at anxiety and what's the positives that come with it. And one of the things I always say when I'm doing an intake with folks with anxiety, I say, actually, you're the person I want to be with at a concert because you know all the exits. (laughs) I I don't have to worry about my safety because I know you're going to make sure I'm safe. And so um, having some humor here too is important. It's very important. And that's where I come in. Yes, it is. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's just really important, like going back to the shame component, when people come into my practice, they're, they're just permeating and oozing out shame that they have failed And it has nothing to do with failure. And I just can't stress this enough that who you were born to be isn't this anxiety disorder. And in other people, it's depression or substance abuse or eating disorder or overexercising. It can go on and on and on. It's about how do you survive in the world with a dysregulated nervous system And the brain is command post of that nervous system. So if you have an undiagnosed traumatic brain injury because you, you know, fell off of a bed when you were six months old, you know, how how are you to function in life um, with unknowingly a traumatic brain injury that nobody's looked at your brain? And... Also, um, making a note that I I think I was kindergarten when I fell, and I just remember hitting my head and whatnot. And it doesn't necessarily mean that my brain had traumatic brain. That's the point of this podcast, that every brain is different. So it doesn't necessarily mean just because you hit your head that that's going to show up in a way... No, but it's it's something that needs to be screened because I can't rule out when I have somebody that, you know, comes in with OCD or panic disorder or just overall generalized anxiety um, that, you know, my curiosity is to tease out how did this brain get here? And, you know, I say to folks, if we take it out of the organ called the brain and we take it into cardiac, you know, we don't have a heart attack, just wake up one day and it's going to give out. It's been years. There's been things that have happened to that particular organ that over time has caused it to go into crisis. And that's the way I look at brain health is that, you know, it's not just one day this happens. It's been over time. Um, So I cannot not rule out that there's an undiagnosed traumatic brain injury that nobody knows about. So if 
I'm just curious yes. too, because I know we've talked about this, that uh, it's still strange to me that our industry is the only industry that doesn't mandate some kind of screening of the brain. Like yeah. if you come in and you say, I can't sleep, I can't eat, here are all these symptoms and kind of traditional mental health will look at the book of criteria and say, okay, you meet criteria for whatever, OCD or or whatever. And that there isn't that focus to say, wait, let's take a picture of the brain. Let's scan the brain and make sure that um, we're not missing anything. So to your point about that TBI, where if you have someone who comes in and you want to rule out anything with the brain, where, what's the next step? Yeah, that's a great question. So in my clinical work, I assess and evaluate, um, is this brain in mild, moderate, or severe? So depending on where uh, the individual is will determine my recommendation. So if I have somebody who's in the mild and even moderate, I'm pretty confident that um, with some intervention and specific intervention, um, and again, I specialize in anxiety disorders, so I have a skill set that is specific to that um, diagnosis. I helped get a company uh, inpatient program off the ground um, age 13 to 20 primary diagnosis anxiety disorder and our kids literally came from all over the world and um, what I realized was that it didn't matter where you lived didn't matter what culture you grew up in a brain is a brain right. with a diagnosis right and so you know it's just it's so important to really assess where it is so um, a couple of years ago, I fell upon um, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Daniel Amen, and to date, he's the only person that I know that specializes, and he's a um, psychiatrist, and, and um, he has um, used SPECT-SCAN, and that's an acronym, S-P-E-C-T. And what it does is it looks at the brain and you get some real incredible information. So when I have a patient that is in the severe zone, meaning they've tried other places and I clearly see that the brain is not functioning um, at a level, then I'll refer to the Amen Clinic um, and get a clear picture. And thus far, the information that has come back has absolutely substantiated why this human is functioning in the way that they do. And from what I know a little bit about Dr. Eamon's work is, again, going back to that traditional medical model, you go in, say you have a heart pain or whatever, they're going to get quantitative information about the heart through different testing and whatnot, and then be able to retest to see whatever interventions are working. And I think that's the frustration we've had in the mental health uh, arena that you, there's not that quantitative, here's the picture of the brain to be able to say, yep, 
this area is not lighting up, this area is underutilized, that kind of thing. And with Dr. Eamon being able to have those images and then the intervention is driven by that information. So it's very customized, which brings us back to why we name this podcast One Brain at a Time, because it really is individualized on what can work. I remember, uh, I think I read something, or no, I think on his website there was a YouTube video, and it was a man who had struggled with anxiety his whole life, went to Dr. Amen, and then the intervention was going into a hyperbaric chamber. Yeah, to oxygen. He- yeah, to heal the brain. Yeah. And how, I want to say it was like 40 sessions later he was anxiety free and uh but anyways amen to dr amen that's what <laughs> i have to say because i think it's moving our our field in a different direction because everybody seems to know about dr amen and i i refer quite a few clients in his direction even to follow him on instagram because he he uh, posts some yeah, great. He's definitely cutting edge um, in this field, and you know, again, I go back to the shame that yeah. is within us when we deem that we're failing. And um, my research in the in my doctorate title is "Stress, Biochemistry, and Food." Perceptions of primary care physicians working with obesity patients. And, you know, I realized after coming out of that research that it really came back to the brain yeah. and that we have a model in this country that is just diet and exercise, diet and exercise, but we're not looking at the brain. And so it sets people up for failure. Um, and then the ones that can maintain the weight loss, they feel like they're the ones who are successful. And it has nothing to do with strength versus weakness. It has everything to do with an organ that is either functioning on all cylinders or it's not. Yeah. And that's where the mild, moderate, severe comes in. Well, we are definitely going to do a deeper dive on your research and follow-up podcast because it's fascinating to even start to talk about weight in the diet industry and all of that. But it just dawned on me that we haven't truly clarified our expertise. And so, uh, fun fact, my sister here, Dr. J, uh, back in the day had called me up and said, I am going to enroll and get my master's in psych and counseling. And being the younger sister who will not be left out, I was like, well, then I have to apply. <laughs> and so we did our grad school together. And after finishing that, same thing. My sister said, well, I'm going on for my PhD. And I said, wait a minute, you can't do that without me. So we did our PhD together. So we're both licensed uh, therapists and uh, PhD survivors, I will say. Yes, (laughs) that is well said. And I think um, another really important um, point with the two of us is that we grew up in an environment of what was considered holistic health. And we were the 
only family in our neighborhood and probably <laughs> a good 50-mile radius that um, really wasn't allowed to have sugar because of how much sugar can cause illness in the body. And so oh. at a very young age, I was 12, so you were six. I think I was two. <laughs> this... Um, again, medical models surrounding food was introduced to us. And with my anxiety brain, I held on to it for dear life because if it meant that I was going to be guaranteed to stay healthy, then I was going to do everything this um, way of living was going to work. Yeah, and I went the opposite <laughs> way. I, I felt like I could have called child services because <laughs> we had... I was so grateful and you were feeling so oh, pained. Oh, <laughs> carob covered rice cakes was our treats oh, in the 70s flavor. and 80s. Come on. That's it why I never so had good. anyone sleep over because I always want to go sleep over <laughs> other people normal house that had Oreos and fluff. Well, actually, kind of to that point, and again, I don't want to go too far into it because we're definitely going to uh, earmark time to really do a deep dive on it. But uh, going back to that brain part is that how I didn't know that my unprocessed trauma and mental health and all of that, that sugar is one of, if not the most addictive substance in the world, but that it spikes serotonin. So as a little kid, as a little animal cherub, I was drawn to sugar because I was trying to bump my serotonin. And um, it's interesting too, because in my current work, working in the addiction world, how... uh, how a lot of that conversation is when folks are getting sober, you're not just getting sober from alcohol, but the sugar part too. So it's a double, but uh, as I said, we won't get into addiction today because that's a whole nother topic as well. And we have to pace ourselves. I know, we're like kids in a candy store. And that, and that. We could talk about it forever. So just going back real quick about that um, kind of individualized model uh, with brain health and whatnot, in speaking to what you were saying about our background in health, I am always taken back by um, the lack of focus with intake or treatment around nutrition, mm-hmm. around sleep around i mean how many um what do you call them like formalized uh biopsychosocial like yeah. intake forms asks anyone about the elimination system oh that's huge i yes. know yeah. i know and uh being able to kind of explore not just the brain, but how the body's functioning too. And of course, we're not medical doctors. So we're not doing physicals or anything like no, that, no. but just asking the question. And I had a uh, patient come in, a client. I, I refer to uh, folks as clients um, 
who, uh, again, met criteria for anxiety and whatnot, but uh, hadn't gone to the bathroom in like two weeks. And what that does to a system and how that can throw the brain in, I mean... Yeah, because you're getting into... um, Gut health. Well, you're getting absolutely into gut health and understanding that this human is now um, experiencing a toxic internal environment. But we're also talking about shame. Yes. And again, like the shame chemistry is a thing that we don't look at Mm -hmm. and it is so so powerful on our brain and body Mm -hmm. and i hope everyone's okay with some select language Mm -hmm. because i do tend to be a little bit of a potty mouth but that shame (laughs) i uh stole this from one of my yoga instructors way back in the day but she talked about the itty bitty shitty committee Mm. that lives in our brains and how powerful that is that that negative self-belief that negative self-talk judgment all of that stuff is that brain trying to figure out things that it's not quite understanding but yeah, that itty bitty shitty committee is a powerful, powerful thing, and and we'll get into it in later uh, podcasts. But um, my specialization is actually trauma slash anxiety disorders, and you know it's coupled with human development and how the brain works and how we internalize and create um, as a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old thoughts about what is going on. And we believe those thoughts to be true. And when we fire them um, a number of times, it becomes our belief system. And over time, it becomes our reality. So a lot of times in my work, Uh, with the brains that I'm working with, it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's just this pattern that they have learned to be a part of who they are, of apologizing when there's nothing to apologize for. So again, it's this integral system that, um, you know, governs how we think, how we feel, and how we act. Yeah, I just was having a conversation with a client and sometimes it's approach work. Sometimes it's, it's not digestible, but I was hearkening back to biology. I was just thinking about this the other day that in biology, when I was in high school and how you learn, like, and I'm going to botch it. So all the biologists out there, I apologize, but like kingdom phylum, species whatever and how that day in class when the teacher was like we're animals we're animals and I remember it just kind of struck me as like no we're not but I was so fast forward I was having this conversation with a client and I said our prime function because we are in the animal kingdom is to survive And so understanding that that brain adapts and maladapts to survive. That's it. It's as simple as that. It it really is. And 
you know, bring it back to what I focus on with the anxiety brain, it's helping people understand that what they actually credit to who they are in part is an unhealthy strategy survival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I say to folks, you know, I want to keep the essence of who you are, which is a kind, loving soul who wants to live in the world with peace. But what has happened is that that has come naturally to you. So you have used this in part to survive in the world, to be nice to everybody so that they don't reject you or abandon you or hurt you. And that's a real hard one for the folks I work with initially to grasp onto. Well, also, too, don't you think part of that is whatever the adaptation is? Like you were just saying about um, maybe being passive or whatever, that that adaptation to survive has actually worked. Else the brain wouldn't have adapted. And that's really, again, because I'm a family systems person, that really starts to cultivate in the system that you're raised in because everyone has a role. And uh, just I think that's the power of the work that looking at something in a negative, like, oh, I get walked on or whatever, and flipping the script saying that, may be true but that has served your served you in ways so how do we get it in balance i don't think it's necessarily like an all or nothing thing but most people come in thinking well i have anxiety make it go away and i don't think it's yes and that's where this um i'll use the term psychoed you'll use the term psychoed in uh In our field, it's psychological education, but we shorten it to psychoed. But that's where psychoed comes in big time to be able to say, now, wait a minute, I know you're looking at this from a negative standpoint, and that may be true, but it also was the way you adopted and adapted to survive. So let's give it some credit here, too, because you're surviving, Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I developed a PowerPoint called The Chemistry of Trauma because people don't understand what trauma is. And so when I do my PowerPoint with the folks that I work with, all of a sudden it's not me telling them. It's the structure of this educational format that they're able to grasp and they see the brain and they see the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal access, the HPA access, and understand that this is an autonomic nervous system that you don't have the ability to control. And so often that's where the shame comes in because people are like, just calm down, just relax. And nobody more than the person whose nervous system is activated, wants to calm down. Yeah. But then you have the expectation from the outside world that just, again, fuels that shame. Yeah. That I, I'm a failure. You're so smart. 
<laughs> Anybody know where we're birthed? What state with that? <laughs> You're wicked smart. <laughs> well, I tell you, you know, it's one of those things too that this is serious topics, yes. but I think it's also important to keep perspective too because I get a um, daily quote. I signed up for an email and it's a daily quote and I just love it because it always seems that the quotes come exactly with the best timing and I just had a quote that, uh, yeah, I love it. It's by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. It's, it is well to fly towards the light even where there may be some fluttering and bruising of wings. Let me say that one more time because I think it's really important to the topic we're saying. It is well to fly towards the light, even where there may be some fluttering and bruising of wings. And I, I've shared that with many of my clients because to walk through mental, emotional pain is one of the most difficult choices that anyone can make. And I just am continuously honored. I was just saying this to a class I'm teaching. It is such an honor to have someone come to me, a complete stranger, and read the room feel the energy to know that it's safe right. to say things that they've never said out loud yeah. to anyone. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing, amazing opportunity to share the road with folks. And one of the things I always say is it's going to get bumpy, yes, but we're going to do it together. And what I say to people because of that animal component is mm-hmm. that you know, we innately want to avoid pain. That's just how we're <laughs> wired. Hence why I don't go to the gym. <laughs> and I should because of my sugar addiction. But it's, you know, it's understanding that there's just so many things in play and that it's just so important to get into the hands of somebody that is, you know, qualified to deal with your brain. Right. And specifically, too, because what's difficult, like we said in the beginning, if you're on a one-year wait and then you're next up and you could have someone who doesn't have the expertise on what your brain needs or whatever, this is one thing, if I could say, that's really important is that we are not a one-size-fits-all. No. And I know it's difficult because in today's world, trying to find a therapist is like winning the lottery. But I encourage anyone who's listening to this that if you're not feeling that it is the right fit, or please tell your therapist 
I encourage people all the time, if I'm not the right person, because I'm not the right person for everyone, and my sense of humor might not work for you, and my approach might not work for you, really, I know it's kind of, uh, it sounds weird to be even addressing this, but just popped into my mind, and, and I think it's important that you get out of therapy what you need and um you know feeling that empowerment because so many people oh the stories i've heard the stories i've heard it's just and what i tell um folks is that we work for you yeah so do not become complacent and you know we gauge the success from our lens, but if you're not feeling it or you're not feeling that um, you're moving forward, I know it's hard to start over. I know that, you know, it just seems easier to stay, but you're not doing yourself any service by being complacent. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that I've had to move people off of my caseload because they're not ready. Right. You know, it's it's not just clients or patients with their therapists. It's also therapists with their caseload. Right. And so people are feeling the turmoil and the duress. And so their automatic response is, I got to find a therapist. But when I really get into my work, they, they don't want to go there. Or they, at that point, at it's that point, just not... Right. Absolutely. And that's what I say to them is that it's not personal. I need to honor you. Yeah. And I am clearly seeing that although your language is telling me that you're ready, your nonverbal is telling me you're not ready. And everybody has their timing. And it's it's I'm here when you feel you know, that you're ready to go down that path. Right. But I don't want to push anybody. Right. It's, it's not what we do. Yeah. Cause it's not about us. No, <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, the other part to that too, I just a tip uh, for folks who are looking for therapists or if you've had multiple therapists I would highly recommend, and I've said this to many of my clients, if you are someone who uh, is into writing or able to go on your computer and, and write stuff down, it is super helpful for me that if you come in as my client and you give me a two-pager background where you're at, What's your history? What kind of thing? I'm always grateful to have that to get started. Mm -hmm. Um, And it might help if you email it or send it or get it to your therapist prior to intake so that you're you're able to kind of hit the ground running if that's a comfortable thing. And it might be something to ask the therapist if they if it would be helpful for them. So. Yeah, I mean, in my world clinically, um, with that anxiety brain, um, I'm trying to slow it down, and so I, I, I've got a good handle on where they're at, and I just need to figure out 
what's going on with their brain and how to turn the volume down. Mm -hmm. So from my standpoint, um, I don't want them getting more and more engrossed in their story. I'm trying Mm. to counteract that. All right. Well, you hear it here first. If you go to Dr. J, don't do the narrative. If you come to Dr. K. (laughs) But that just illustrates, I love the fact that, again, going back to why we wanted to do this podcast is that we couldn't be more different and more the same in many ways. And and having kind of the curtain pulled back on the mental health industry and therapy and therapist. And we by no means are the cover children or adults for mental health uh, treatment. This is just the way we have found it to work with our clients and uh, wanting to share it. But I love that you take what you want and leave the rest kind of thing. And I think, you know, part of the passion as to why I wanted to do this podcast is to offer up, um, you know, a different lens or a different understanding about brain health. Um, it is often that people say to me, nobody has ever explained it to me yeah. like this before. Yeah. And yeah. when I get that statement. Right. That's where my passion fuels even more because what I know is is that that person's shame has lessened. And all of a sudden when you get that space with somebody where they're not personalizing it as a failure and they're understanding that it is a medical issue, then they gain this momentum to get better. Empowerment. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say too, uh, to that point about shame that I love how now when you talk to anyone in their 20s, it's like a badge of honor when they say, oh, my therapist told me or I see my therapist next. And it's like a brand new world because we're in our 50s and we did not grow up with that. That stigma still is heavily attached and unfortunately you know it took a pandemic it took athletes it took people to come out and and really be truthful with their journey to help destigmatize but to the very last breath of either one of us that it will always be a mission to destigmatize mental health and and being able to seek treatment and it was funny because uh last week i was in session with a client and they said something and i said well my therapist and (laughs) they go what (laughs) and and I and I said something you know of wisdom that my therapist had said and uh they go wait you have a therapist (laughs) and I was like uh yeah (laughs) and it was just that moment in time to go oh right Right. you know and so it was so powerful for this person to think oh wait therapists need therapy too i'm here to tell you (laughs) yes we do yes we do and actually uh part of part of that process of uh 
my therapy and being in therapy and having been in therapy informs the therapist I am because being the consumer. Yes. Being on the other side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So good stuff. Well, well this was fine. I know <laughs> our first podcast in the books. <laughs> so uh, moving forward, we've got some topics, but I think we both agreed that once we go live, opening it up to uh, different things, people being able to email or contact us with certain questions and topics. And who knows, there might be a guest or two along the way. I think there will be. Perhaps, (laughs) perhaps, maybe. Um, And thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much.